uh, on your table. So it says, on the next day, a great crowd who had come to the festival when they heard that Yeshua was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees, went out to meet him and were crying out, Hoshiana, or Hoshiana, blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahovah, the sovereign or the king of Israel. And Yeshua, having found a young donkey, said on it, as it has been written, do not fear, daughter of Zion. See, your sovereign is coming, sitting on, a, on the colt of a donkey. At first, his taught ones didn't understand this, but when Yeshua had been glorified or esteemed, then they remembered that this was written about him and that they had done this to them. Therefore, the crowd who were with him when he raised or when he called Eleazar out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, were bearing witness. On account of this, the crowd also met him because they had heard that he had done this sign. I want to stop there for a second and talk about a few things. Uh, first of all, this is talking about what we typically think of as what? Palm Sunday. Okay, so this is when he, he's coming into Jerusalem, he's coming to Jerusalem, and they take the palm branches down, they're laying it out, uh, and they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here in the scriptures version uh, is how it would be pronounced basically in Hebrew, which is Hosiana, um, and then blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahovah instead of coming in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> so you've heard, you know, Hosanna, right? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you think of that word as probably what? Praise or praise God or something like that. Well, actually, that's not what the word means. It doesn't mean Praise God. It doesn't really mean praise. What it means is, um, and it's taken from Psalm, you might want to write this down, Psalm 118, Psalm 118, verses 24 through 29. And I'm going to read this to you. Uh, this is where, <clears throat> because this word is not used just uh, a massive number of times, but uh, here it says, this is what it says. This is the day Yahovah has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Remember that? This is the day that what? The Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But his name is Yahovah. It's not the Lord. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 25. I pray, O Yahovah, and here's the word Hosanna or Hoshiana, please save. Okay? I pray, O Yahovah, please send prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahovah. This is where this quote is coming from, where these people are saying this. We shall bless you from the house of Yahovah. Yahovah is El, or God, Elohim, short for Elohim. And he gave us light. Bind the festal offering with cords to the horns of the altar. <laughs> yeah. Um, you are my El, or my God, and I praise you. You are my Elohim. I exalt you. Give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his kindness is everlasting. 
So it, what's really, really interesting about this psalm, this psalm is about praising God, his goodness lasts forever, on and on and on. You get to this one section here in verse 25 where it says, and I pray, O Yahovah, please save. So Hosanna technically means please save. Like, please save me, okay? That is technically what it means. But it's connected here with this psalm that deals with praise. So there's this interesting twist on this word and how over time, the Jewish people in their common language, their common use of the language, they, would begin, they began to use this word as a word of praise instead of a plea for salvation, but a praise of God for his salvation. You tracking with that? So I, I read something that John Piper wrote on this that I thought was really cool. It's pretty concise. And I want to just read it to you, the notes that I put down here, and you can jot down whatever you'd like. It says, over the centuries, the phrase Hoshiana stopped being a cry for help in the ordinary language of the Jews. Instead, it became a shout of hope and exaltation. It used to mean save please, but gradually... It came to mean salvation, salvation, salvation has come. He put it this way. It used to be what you would say when you fell off the diving board. But it came to be what you would say when you saw the lifeguard coming to save you. It is the bubbling over of a heart that sees hope and joy and salvation on the way and just can't keep it in. So... Hosanna means hooray for salvation. It's coming. It's here. Salvation, salvation. And Hosanna to the son of David means the son of David is our salvation. Hooray for the king. Salvation belongs to the king. And Hosanna in the highest means let all the angels in heaven join the song of praise. Salvation, salvation, let the highest heaven sing the song. That's what it has come to mean, but it is also very important. Now watch this. It's very important to remember that the technical meaning of it is please save. The Jewish people began to connect it with praise and saying thank you for the salvation, but it really means please. It's a plea for salvation. So here now you've got Yeshua coming into Jerusalem. It is what we commonly know as Palm Sunday. They're breaking the palm branches. They're bringing them in. They're laying them down, preparing a way for the Lord, uh, make straight the path of God. And they're singing out this Hoshiana, Hoshiana, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even to the king of Israel. 
Now they're saying this about who? About Yeshua. So what does Yeshua mean? Salvation. So Yeshua means salvation, and they're crying out a phrase which says, technically, please save, but it's a shout of joy and thanksgiving, and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king. And so they're quoting that part correctly right out of the psalm. You have to hold on to that for a minute because that's what all they're saying, and that's what they're declaring You need to have that as a background. Now watch this. So then he talks about how, or it says about how uh, he found this young donkey. He comes in, he rides on it, and it's it's a quote about, uh, you know, do not fear daughter of Zion or Zion, the Mount Zion, Jerusalem, um, that your your king is coming lowly and and riding on a donkey. But here's what's really cool. You might want to highlight this circle it or whatever you typically do on verse 16 because it says his disciples, they didn't understand it. They were like, well, we have, we have no idea what he's doing. They saw it happening and they're like, okay, kind of weird, but okay. If you remember the whole story, I mean, remember he told them, go in and you're going to find this donkey. This is what you're going to find and just untie it. When they ask, you say the master needs it. There's a lot of background on that. I didn't want to chase that tonight. What I really wanted to, to, to get you to see was what this verse says. It says, at first, his taught ones or his disciples, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They were like, uh, okay. It wasn't until after he was glorified, meaning after the resurrection, Uh, and the ascension, and they received the Holy Spirit and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden this stuff starts going on because what what did Yeshua tell them? Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to reveal all things. All of this stuff starts to flood over them, and they're like, oh, my goodness, yeah, because that's what it says there, and that's what he did. Here's what's interesting about that. They didn't realize that it was prophetic until after Yeshua did it and then they received the Holy Spirit and then God revealed to them, I talked about this back here and I did it here with Yeshua, but what you have to understand is that that was not a um, prominent, uh, clear prophecy. It was only understood that it was prophetic after you saw what Yeshua did and how he perfectly fulfilled that. Does that make sense? That's important to understand. So then um, the other thing is that what, what's, what all is happening around all of this stuff and them shouting, please save, salvation is here, we're happy, and salvation is there, and his name is Salvation. And they're there experiencing all of this because what? Yeshua raises, his name is Eleazar, remember? Eleazar, God's help. So he raised him from the dead and those that saw it, they're testifying, this is the guy and that is the guy raised. He was in there four days starting to rot, not good. Um, and he brought him back to life. 
And it says that um, in verse 18, it says, and on account of this, the crowd also met him because they had, they had heard he, he had done these things. So what happened was you had this one crowd that saw the witness. Now this crowd is bigger because it's in the festival and now they're actually in Jerusalem. And that original crowd from uh, uh, Lazarus' home where he raised him from the dead, they're testifying, saying, yeah, this is him. Da, da, da. And they're all crying this out. And er there's this buzz going on. That's what I want you to see. There's this buzz going on. And so another crowd is even getting bigger going, okay, we want in on this. We want to talk to him. We want to see what's, this is, this is big. This is, this is huge. So pick up now in verse 19, because it says, and the Pharisees, they said this among themselves. They bear, they're, they're whining. Well, you see, you're getting nowhere at all. Look, the whole world's gone after him. They're, they're looking at this because what? They've been trying to plot to secretly or somehow arrest him to kill him. Now the crowd is not only the first crowd that saw the, uh, the miracle, but they're telling everybody else that's in Jerusalem for the festival, and now everybody is like crowding around going, hey, we want to see what's going on. And these religious leaders are like, we just lost control. We now have no control. Look, look what's, we're doing a great job, aren't we? Now everybody has gone over to him. Verse 20, and it says, and there were certain Greeks among those who were coming up to worship at the festival, these then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galil, or Galilee, and were asking him, saying, Master, we want to see Yeshua. So Philip went to Andrew, or Andrew, Andrew and, uh, and then Philip, and they told Yeshua. And Yeshua answered and said, The hour has come for the son of Adam to be esteemed. Circle that. Highlight that or underline that. So here's what's happening. All of that is happening, and it says, and there's also these Greeks that are there, Gentiles or whatever you want to call them, Gentiles that are there. They've, they've also come up to the festival to celebrate. So in my reading and my studying, there's a great debate over, well, who are these Greeks? Are they really non-Jews but God-fearers or... Are they part of the lost tribes that are now called Greeks because they've intermarried so much, but they really got, but I, I know that my heritage is Jewish, but, I, you, know, but I, you know, I live in Chicago or whatever, or I'm, uh, I'm here in Royce City, but yeah, whatever. Th that, that kind of mindset, like me, and I've told you this before, realize that I'm from Scotland, so I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever, you know, but I'm... I literally live 30 minutes from the house I grew up in, and I'm 63, so my roots are pretty deep <laughs> around here. Um, I don't know that that's the point, whether or not their blood line is of Israelite or not. The statement is that these Greeks are also there in the crowd, and they're saying, we want to see him. The important thing here is that it's not one. Evidently, it's a number of them. And the crowd has gotten so intense that now there's some kind of a screening process happening because he, he can't handle just everybody just overwhelming him. So the disciples evidently have taken it upon themselves like, look, everybody back off a second, you know, 
We can't just, you know, have a mob here. And so they come and they're trying to get us uh, uh, an audience with Yeshua. And Yeshua says, when that happens, the hour has now come for the son of Adam to be glorified. It's the moment when Yeshua is saying, okay, everybody's now coming. I'm the king of kings, and the reason I came here was to reclaim all the nations, and I'm going to do it through Israel. And so they're now all coming. Now's the time the death, my, his death is about to happen. We know what, that it's, you know, it's just a few days away. So that, here's what else is also interesting. We don't really know what, if they even got to talk to him or, or really even what happened. And so you have to ask, well then, why did God have John put that in there? We don't know what they wanted. We don't, we don't know any other details. I believe that the Holy Spirit had John put this in here so that we would understand that that's, that was the point. That's why he came, was to die, to release Israel so that he could claim all of the nations of the earth that when Satan got us to follow him in his folly, that we lost our place on earth in God's kingdom. This whole thing has been about this war over Satan's jealousy and pride. And he got us through Adam and Eve and then following to rebel against God. And then we got kicked out of the garden. So then you have the Tower of Babel event. You've got all that stuff. God separates everybody and he goes, I'm going to take this little nation, which we've talked about, and I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm who I say I am, and I'm going to bring all these nations back, Satan, that you thought you stole. And everything that you've messed up, I'm going to fix it. Even the earth, the physical earth, a new heaven, a new earth, everything is going to get fixed. Can you say hallelujah? So let's go on here. Remember now, he says... The hour has come for the son of Adam, or in some translations it'll use son of man, to be glorified. He's using a phrase here. This is going to come back up. So now in verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world shall preserve it for everlasting life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant also shall be. If anyone serves me, the Father is going to value him. Now, I myself am troubled. And what am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this very reason, I came to this hour. So what's he doing here? He's already describing that he's going to die. That it's a seed. The seed all by itself, if it doesn't die and planted, what fruit can it bear? And he said, but this, is, and he goes, the, the hour is here. What am I supposed to do? Pray and ask God to take it away from me? This is why I came. So we have to understand that even though he was troubled in his spirit, we'll see that again later in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, 
It wasn't physical death that he was worried about. It was facing God's wrath. And watch this. Yeshua had always existed and he's one with the Father. For a moment in time, hanging on the cross, the Father had to turn his back on his own self. Separation. That's why and when Yeshua cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For eternity, he had never known isolation. Never known it until that moment. And to experience what it would be like for eternity to be separated from the creator of the universe, the source of all life and light and goodness. To experience darkness an absence of that. And God did that to himself. And he said, but for this very reason, I came to this hour, this moment. And that also tells us something else. Who's in control? God is in control. Yeshua is in total control of all of this. Watch this. This becomes absolutely fascinating. So in verse 28, he says, Father, Esteem. Y'all, y'all get catching this by now when I use the word esteem. He's talking about glory, glorification. He says, Father, esteem, what, what, do what? Your name. <laughs> Out of all of this, what is it that Yeshua is most concerned about? That God's name would be glorified. We turn the focus on ourselves when we say what Jesus is concerned about is salvation of souls. See what I'm saying? That is not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, Heavenly Father, make this work out, you know, so we can save all these people. The purpose is to glorify his name. The result is our salvation. He goes, Father, esteem your name. And then watch this. Then a voice came from heaven. (laughs) And what does he say? I have and I will. Wow. So he says, I've already glorified it. And I'm going to continue glorifying it. And I'm going to glorify it. I'm going to glorify it in the future. And so the crowd stood by and they heard and they said, man, there's been thunder. Something happened. What was that? Others said that it was a messenger or an angel of God that was speaking to him. And then Yeshua says, well, the voice didn't come because of me, but it was for your sake. Interesting. And then he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. Now we have to back up. So, The Gentiles come. He says, now's the hour for the son of Adam to be glorified. I'm going to die. He does that little story about him dying, all of that. And And then he prays a prayer out loud so that everybody can hear. And he says, Father, my desire is that your name be glorified. And then the Father answers his prayer out loud where they can hear. Sounds like thunder. Sounds like this loud noise. And he says, I have glorified it. I am going to glorify it. They start asking. And Yeshua says, this happened 
for your sake, not mine. Now, on the surface, you could read that and go, well, yeah, he didn't, I mean, why would he need to know? He didn't need to hear God's voice. He hears, I mean, he always says, you know, what God says and only does what he hears the Father telling him to do. I mean, it, that's kind of, should go unsaid, right? Why would he even need to tell us all this, that this is happening? And then he says, listen, this is happening. This was for your sake. Keep in mind something. They didn't totally understand what they even heard. So it wasn't just normal thunder, or they said, well, that was thunder. You know, no big deal. But others are like, no, 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 that was, I mean, the angel is speaking, or there's, there's something going on here. And so when I was reading, I was like, so why, why would God put this in here? Why did this need to happen? And why did it need to happen? Watch this, because does anything happen in your Bible by coincidence, by accident? No. So why did that happen, and why did it happen right there? What's the connection between that and what Yeshua's doing, what he's doing with the people of Israel, and even with the history of Israel? I mean, has this ever happened before? Is it going to happen again? Well, number one, has it happened before? It's already happened once. It's already happened in Jesus' life, right? It's already happened there when he was getting baptized. This is my son with whom I'm well, I'm well pleased. I mean, the angel comes down or the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. We'll see it at the um, Mount of Transfiguration, right? Where he's up on the mountain. He got the three apostles with him. God speaks. The holy uh, Shekinah glory comes down. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to listen to him. And they understood. And they're like, man, and you know, Moses and Elijah are there. They're like, we need to build tabernacles, booths, the feast of booths. We need to build this for them all. They, they heard that. Has that even happened maybe before? Like maybe way back. And what is the connection here between hearing and hearing God's voice and responding? Remember what they said? Hosanna, Hoshiana, God save, thank you for salvation. Salvation is here, Yeshua's here, right? And then they hear this voice. Got a number of passages I want you to jot down and I'll quote them to you, I'll read them to you for you. 1 Corinthians 2.14. The Apostle Paul talks about people that can't understand God, hear his voice, and understand even the words of God. It, it says, but the natural man does not receive the matters of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him because he is unable to know them because they are spiritually discerned, meaning they will read words, hear a voice, hear a sound, can't figure it out. He's unable to because they're spiritually discernible and that kind of person isn't spiritually bent. I'll say it that way. Therefore, there's no inclination or desire to even try to understand. They just hear a noise and they can't figure it out. Acts chapter nine, verses four through seven. This is when the Apostle Paul, or Saul, uh, when he meets Yeshua on the road to Damascus, it says, and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, or Shaul, Shaul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, master? And the master said to him, I am Yeshua whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the prods or against the goads. 
both trembling and being astonished, he said, Master, what do you wish me to do? And the master said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you should be told uh, what you have to do. And the men journeying with him stood speechless, hearing indeed the voice, but seeing no one, and couldn't really figure it all out. Paul, who becomes Paul, Shaul, Paul heard it completely, knew exactly what was going on, and was able to have a conversation, but these others hear this voice, they really don't know and can't understand everything that's going on. Now, let's go all the way back, watch this, all the way back to Mount Sinai. All the way back, what, to the beginning, watch this, of the birth of the nation where Yeshua is there to deal with the divorce decree, to be able to bring everybody back, to bring the 12 tribes back, and also bring in all the other nations that Satan stole. And that's when Yeshua said, now's the time for the son of Adam to be glorified. So this is found in chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, okay? I'm gonna read 23 verses so that you can get the gist of this. This is when God speaks from the mountain. The mountain is burning. They hear the shofar being sounded. It's the very voice of God, and it is scaring literally the pants off of them. I mean, they're like, Moses, you talk to God. We don't want to hear his voice. We think we're going to... It was so loud and so overwhelming, they literally thought by what they were seeing and hearing that it would kill them. That's powerful, right? I mean, they were afraid for their lives. They literally said, we don't want to hear God. So picking up in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 20, it says, and Elohim spoke these words. So he's speaking these words, and that's what they're hearing, saying, I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You have no other mighty ones or no other gods uh, against my face. You do not make for yourself a, cur a carved image or any likeness that of which is in the heavens above or which on the earth beneath or which is in the waters under the earth. You do not bow down to them nor serve them for I, Yahovah, your Elohim, am a jealous El, visiting the crookedness of the fathers to the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing kindness to thousands of those who love me and guard my commands. You do not bring the name of Yahovah, your Elohim, to naught, for Yahovah does not leave one unpunished who brings his name to naught. Remember the Sabbath day to set it apart. Six days you shall labor and you shall do all your work, but on the seventh day it's a Sabbath of Yahovah, your Elohim. You do, know, you, you do not do any work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your strangers within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the seventh day and set it apart. Respect your father and your mother so that your days will prolong, be prolonged on the soil which Yahweh, your Elohim, has given you. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or whatever belongs to your neighbor. And all the people saw the thunders, 
the lightning flashes, the sound of the ram's horn, and the mountain smoking, and the people saw it, and they trembled, and they stood at a distance and said to Moshe, you speak with us, and we will hear, but not let not Elohim speak with us, lest we die. And Moshe said to the people, don't fear, for Elohim has come to prove you, and in order that his fear may be before you so that you do not sin. So the people stood at a distance, but Moshe drew near the thick darkness where Elohim was. And Yahweh said to Moshe, say this to the children of Israel. You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from the heavens. They saw it and they heard it. You do not make besides me any mighty ones or carved images of silver. You do not make mighty ones of gold for yourselves. I stopped right there because from here all the way up through and into chapter 24. So from 20 to 24 are more and more details that God gives to Moses to tell him how to build the tabernacle, how to build all the furniture, how to build the Ark of the Covenant, how to, do, how to sanctify and separate and purify the priest and how they're supposed to do all this stuff and everything. And then what happens? He goes back up on the mountain and he's there too long. What happens next? The golden calf. That doesn't happen until chapter 24. Um, so, <clears throat> actually, I think it's even farther than that. I'm sorry. I think I might have misspoke. That might even be farther. Let me see. From here to chapter 24, Yahweh gave Moses his right rulings and laws for Israel, which uh, expand their understanding on how to live out what we call the Ten Commandments. Then, in Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8, Moshe came and related to the people. All, yeah, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. It's actually farther from the golden calf because they go back and they actually build everything. Um, they, they, they do a lot of stuff. And then that's when Moses goes back up. So in verse 24, uh, in chapter 24, verse 3, it says, Moshe came and he related to the people all the words of Yahweh and all the right rulings. And all the people answered with one voice. Here it is. All the words which Yahweh has spoken we shall do it. That's in Exodus 24, verse 3. Let me continue on. Verse 4, Moshe wrote down all the words of Jehovah, rose up early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and 12 standing columns for the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and slaughtered a peace offering, slaughterings of bulls to Jehovah. And Moshe took half of the blood, put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar, and he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said again, all that Yahovah has spoken, we shall do and obey. And Moshe took the blood and literally started sprinkling it or throwing it on the people and said, see the blood of the covenant which Yahovah has made with you concerning, this is interesting, all these words. It's a blood covenant. So the blood covenant was basically, these bulls died as a testimony of this covenant 
Part of that is dealing with all this purification and everything, and the blood is on the altar. Now the blood is even on you. Whichever party breaks this covenant, let it happen to them exactly what happened to these bulls. Is God going to break his covenant? Can God die? No, not until he became a man and he died once and rose. But he can't die, and he's not going to break his own promises and his own covenant, even though he knew that what? Israel would. You following all that? So it was at Mount Sinai, you have to back up and get into some of this other stuff because God tells Moses, look, he tells him beforehand, I'm going to speak from the mountain so that the people will fear and trust the words you say. Yeshua says, this didn't happen for my sake, it happened for your sake. This is why when God starts speaking, Moses goes, whoa, hey, don't be afraid. It's your God, he's speaking to you. He's doing this to prove you, to test you, and to show you that everything he's done, he's the creator of the universe, he's your God. What in the world is wrong with you? And they're like, no, 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 we're gonna die. You become the mediator for us. You become the go-between, we can't handle this. And even in that, God goes, well, you know what? They're actually right. They can't handle it. They're going to need a mediator. They just don't understand that the mediator that's coming is going to be the prophet like Moses. And I'm going to require it of every person that, watch this, doesn't listen to him. So these people hear, but they don't totally understand. Um, and these people are saying, Hoshiana, Hoshiana, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even unto the king. And they don't even understand or can't comprehend the grace that is being poured out to them at that very moment from the person whose name means salvation. In the same way that the people stood there, they walked through the Red Sea, they experienced everything else, they saw the mountain quaking, they saw the rock splitting up, the mountain comes on fire, they hear the very voice of God, this mighty rushing wind, they can understand it within them, they know what they're hearing, and they're like, no, 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 no. And then finally, Moses writes it all down, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we're good, we'll do it, whatever. Moses goes up on the mountain, he's up there for a little over a month, and they get scared, and they're like, you know what, now we need a golden calf. Because they needed a mediator. They weren't trying to replace God. They were trying to replace Moses. They wanted to be able to talk to God through the calf in the same way they wanted to talk to God through Moses. You know any church people that do that with their pastor? It's the same kind of stuff, folks trying to use somebody else as their spiritual guide or whatever, instead of, you, you talk to him, I'm not saying y'all do that. I hope you're not doing that. Uh, but we, we do know that that kind of stuff happens, right? So this is where he says, uh, <clears throat> this is where it gets so fascinating. It says, the voice didn't come from, because of me, but it came for your sake. Then he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of the world is about to be cast out. So it, all of this is happening. This is a, Pivotal point, it's as big, if you will, as the cross itself. The cross is the finality of it. But Yeshua is saying, we have now arrived. 
All the pieces have now been placed. They're all perfectly aligned. The timing, the calendar, the day, the people, the atmosphere, the attitude of everybody, even their inability to totally understand the words that are even coming out of their own mouth, which is a mirror of Mount Sinai, and now it's happening again, and what's about to happen is I'm going to die on the cross, release everything, I'm going to tear down Satan's authority, and I'm going to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here, and Satan, you're now out. Wow. So he says, we're, we're here. We're here. All, the only thing that needs to now happen is I'm going to be, uh, they're going to test me for four days. The 14th of Nisan's going to show up. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be the perfect Passover lamb. I'm going to be resurrected on first fruits, and I'm going to show everybody that I really am God. It's about to be really amazing. So then uh, he, he follows, he goes, I'm, I'm about to cast out Satan, and then he goes right back to this death motif, this death picture. If I, and, and he goes, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I shall draw all men to myself. And then now we've got John's interpretation where he says, this he said, signifying by what death he was about to die. So that's just an interjected, uh, inserted statement. You go to verse 34. The crowd answered him. This is fascinating. The crowd answered him and said, you know, we've heard in the Torah that the Messiah, he's going to live forever. How do you say the son of Adam You see in these details? How do you say that the son of how do you say that the son of man has to be lifted up? Who is this son of Adam? Who did Jesus just say was going to be lifted up? He said he was going to be lifted up, right? He goes, and I, even I, if I if I am lifted up, I'm going to draw them into myself. The comments that the crowd makes is absolutely fascinating. They're like, whoa, 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 hold on. Well, we know from the Torah that the Messiah, he lives forever. So who's this son of Adam that's going to get lifted up? That is very telling on a number of, number of levels. Number one, they're making the connection already that Yeshua is the Messiah. They're also making the connection that he's the son of Adam. He's the son of man. It is the the most favorite term Yeshua used about himself, to call himself, the son of Adam. But here he's saying, if I'm lifted up, and they're like, well, then who is this son of Adam that you're saying is going to be lifted up? Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Notice that this in this exchange, the people admit that they've already made the connection of Yeshua and the Messiah that they expected to come. They've already, these are just some notes I put. I want to make sure I get this out. When Yeshua says that he'll be lifted up and draw men to himself, this shows that the people, uh, this throws the people off because they thought the Messiah wouldn't die but would remain forever. This exchange also makes it clear that they understood that Yeshua referred to himself as this son of Adam or son of man, which is why they are now looking for clarification on who this son of Adam is if Yeshua is actually going to be the one that's going to die. So this is where Yeshua, when they say that, this is his response. Yeshua therefore said to him, well, 
Yet a little while the light's with you. Why? Because he is the light. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. And he who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These words Yeshua spoke and went off and was hidden from them. But though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. So who is it that's saying they don't, they're, now they're not believing in him? Their expectation of the Messiah, they had already come to the conclusion Yeshua is the Messiah. He's the son of Adam. We're going to kick Rome out. Everything's going to be great. Twelve tribes are going to come back. Hey, this is going to be pretty cool. He just got through saying he's going to die. Then he says all this. says, well, you know what? You got a little bit of time. You need to walk in the light. What's he talking about? The cross is coming. Days. It's only a few days away. So he says, you need to walk in the light while the light's here because if the, when the night comes, if you're not ready, you're going to stumble. And then he goes off and he hides himself from them and it says, then they decided, well, I guess we were wrong. Why? Because God didn't meet their expectations. Instead of them waiting to be a part of God's expectations. They put their expectations above their understanding of what Scripture says and what the Messiah was telling. They'd already come to the conclusion he's the Messiah. They saw Eleazar raised from the dead. They saw all this stuff. They're out there praising. Basically, everything we've heard, we will do and obey. Well, Moses has been gone too long. Make us a calf. Everything you're saying, Yeshua, we're good to go. You're going to die. Well, let's, let's go to plan B. Isn't that sad? So then it says, um, we're, we're, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> explained here in verse 38 that the word of Isaiah, uh, the prophet would be fulfilled, which uh, Yahweh, had, who has believed our report and who is the arm of the Lord been revealed. Verse 39, because of this, they were unable to believe. They were unable to believe. Because again, Yahshayahu or Isaiah says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they, sh they should not see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I should heal them. Yeshua said this when he saw the glory of him, when he spoke of him, verse 42, still even among some of the rulers, many did believe in him, but because of the Pharisees, they wouldn't confess him lest they should be cast out of the synagogue. Why? Because they loved the praise of men more than they loved the praise of God. So here's what you got to understand. It says they believed in him, but they wouldn't confess him because they loved the praise of men more than they loved the praise of God, which to me tells me they believed that he was the Messiah, but they would not align themselves with him. To me, that doesn't mean they were saved. It means they understood intellectually, look, I've looked at all of it. He's the Messiah. I ain't going there. Mm, no, price is going to be too high. I'm a leader after all. I got a house. I got bills. I got my stuff. I got my standing. They'll kick me out. I'll lose everything. 
I'll have to go watch sheep. I'm not doing that. I'll lose respect. I'll lose my place. I'm not doing it. Verse 48, he who rejects me, well, I'm sorry, um, verse 44, it says, then Yeshua cries out. So this is later. He who believes in me, you're not believing in me, but you're believing in the one who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. Now this is where all this to me ties together. I have come as light in the world so that no one who believes in me should stay in the, uh, stay in the darkness. And if anyone hears my words... Now here we're going back to this very important issue of hearing what God says, responding properly to what God says, not only believing in our minds and our hearts, but committing our lives to it. Remember what they said at Mount Sinai? Everything that we hear, everything that you're telling us, we will obey. We will do and obey what you're saying. So he says, if anyone hears my words but does not watch over them or guard them, I don't even judge him. Okay, if I insert, insert some Paul Henry here. I don't even judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me doesn't reject uh, and does not receive my words has one who judges him. The word that have I spoken shall judge him in the last day. Yeshua is saying, look, I'm not even the one that's going to judge you. You know what's going to judge you? My word. No discussion. No debate, no pleading your case, nothing. The words that he has spoken is truth. And everything will be governed and judged by the truth like a plumb line, like it says in Amos, that he hung a plumb line and everything's been found off or out of measure. The plumb line is the very word of God living in Yeshua. And he goes, when I come back, I'm not going to come back and just, you know, I'm mad. I'm going to judge you. I'm not going to have to do that. He said, why did I, I came to save the world. You know what's going to judge you? What you heard. What you said. And how you responded to what you heard and how you responded to even what you said. That's what's going to judge you. And there will be no rebuttal. None. Because it's the word of God that is the standard. It is not your belief system. Watch this. It's not even your understanding of the word of God that is the level of right and wrong. It is the word of God that is the standard, period. Period. Our job, watch this, is to have the desire to follow the word of God no matter where it takes us. Folks, if you're spiritually discerned, which doesn't mean that you're just looking for the spirits, what it means is if you have a heart for God and that you want to love him and you want to honor him and glorify his name, which means you bend your will to what the word says and what, what the father is leading you. You don't try to bend the word to your will which is pretty much modern, mainstream, if you will, I'll go this far, Christianity, religion in the world and even in America today. We're constantly bending the word of God to our interpretation of it. And God and Yeshua right here saying, look, when all this pans out, 
I'm not going to go, well, you know what? You did this. You did that. You so you know what? The scales, yeah, you didn't quite make it. Next. That's not how it's going to work. It's going to be this blanket deal where it's like, here's the word of God. Those that are mine, you're over here. Everybody else, this was the standard. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. No discussion. This wasn't your standard. You know why? Many times you said this. You said you wanted God. You said you wanted a. You said you wanted God. Well, you had one. You had a lot of them, and the big one was you. You made up your own God, made up your own rules, did your own stuff. You heard what I said. I told you I'm the creator of the universe. I've done all this stuff. I proved it over and over and over again, did all these miracles, spoke to you from heaven, gave you the very word, wrote it down, wrote it down in a book, preserved it in a book, proved to you through the book that the book is real, the book is right, everything is right and holy. I did what I said. I'm going to continue to do that. He, he's going to do it all. He'll say, that's not what you wanted. You know what you wanted? You wanted your version of your religion seasoned with a little bit of something that you thought was me, which wasn't me at all. But it made you feel good in your own head. Therefore, when judgment day comes, the standard is going to be the word of God. Now, folks, if that's the case, how important is it that we align our lives with what the word says? It has nothing to do with your belief system. It has to do with your value system. And we need to make sure that our value system is that the word of God is the authoritative power, if you will, or object in our lives. And I will bend my life to what this says instead of trying to bend this to what I want. He goes on in verse 49 and 50, and we'll close. Because I spoke not from myself, but the Father has sent me. And he gave me what? A command. What I should say, what I should speak, and I know that his command, hmm. <laughs> his command is what? Wow. So it says right here, and who said this? Could Yeshua maybe be confused? He says, and I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak as the Father has said to me, so I speak. Folks, this is why in your Bible it says here that the commands of God are life and light they are our joy. They are our direction. It shows us how to relate to God, how to talk to God, how to worship God, how to please God. And this is also why the scripture talks about Yeshua is everlasting life. Why? Because he is the word of God made manifest. So on judgment day, it's not going to be a matter of what you did or didn't do, blah, 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 and weighing the scales and all this other stuff. It's going to be, did we align our lives with what the Word of God says? Because that's the standard. Not even our understanding of it. Which should challenge us. Right? Right? If that's the standard, 
Should you simply trust whatever you read in a book or just whatever I say or whatever you see on YouTube or whatever you see on the internet or, or whatever, whatever preacher is preaching or telling you or whatever? Or should we literally compare it to what the Word of God says and go with that even over what somebody says to you? Because when you get there, you're not going to be able to say, yeah, but my preacher said. Because that's not going to, that question won't come up. It'll be, this is the standard and it's the word of God. You have been found wanting, depart from me. Why? Because I never knew you. And when he made those statements, it was to Christians. Because they say to the right God, Yeshua, Whoa, we did great and mighty things in your name. And he says, depart from me, for I never knew you, those of you who work lawlessness. So what does that mean? Anti-word. Lawlessness is anti-Torah, antinomianism, which means anti-word of God, which means you added to it, subtracted from it, you did everything that you wanted to do, and you did your religious stuff, and you thought you were doing your religious stuff for me. I don't even know who you are because you're not mine. Those that are mine know me, know my word, and they treasure it. Folks, your God loves you. Our God loves us so much that he says, I came to, to, to give you life, and I didn't come to judge you. And it, it's actually pretty cool, because he's like, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to bring salvation. And I'm just simply going to tell you the truth. This is the truth, and I'm going to lay it out really, really clear. There's not going to be any real confusion on it. If anybody's confused, they chose to be confused. I'm going to make it real plain. This is the way it works. You come to me. You surrender your life to me. Those who, those who want to be with me will follow me. They will do what I do. They will do what I say. They will follow my teachings. They will guard them, hold them, treasure them. That's what he just said. And my Father will honor you. And you're going to experience this eternal life, which is embedded in the Word and part of the Word being in you. So when I come back, I'm not going to come back and go, oh, you know what, I'm going to kill that one. I'm going to kill that one. I just don't like you. That's not how it's going to work. He's going to come back. Yes, there's going to be this judgment. He's coming back in this, as this uh, reigning king on the white horse. But the standard is not going to be any opinion or anything or any variation. It's simply going to be, this is what the Word has always said, always done, and Yeshua was the embodiment of it. And you chose that you wanted to do your own thing. No problem. Rest of eternity, you'll do it without me. He didn't come to condemn. He came to say, here it is. Align yourself with this and you'll experience eternal life. Pretty simple. Because I came because I love you. But those that don't, won't. 